When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, this is Nighthawk calling. This is History Hack coming back at you for episode three. Alina, who's on today? It's you. <laughs> yeah, I wondered why there was no one else in the group conference call. It's just the two of us today, I'm afraid. We're, we're flagging a bit, aren't we? We are. Your voice is... Oh, uh, do you know what? My voice is... It, uh, it's, it's all over the place at the moment, so I apologise for how bad I'm currently sounding, and I promise, I promise I'll be feeling much better after tomorrow. So um, if you can put up with the droning of my... Uh, voice will be all good so this is um, um it's blown up hasn't it from this uh little baby idea where we were wondering if we'd get one historian a week to entertain our nonsense it's it's all going a bit mad um i'm just looking at know, next week's schedule man it's awesome do you know what um i kind of i the, one of the first people i actually contacted over this was uh, frank madonna yeah. Uh, and Roger Morehouse, who both have agreed to come on. And I've got to say, the, the guys, they're absolutely amazing for doing this. Um, and just from there on. I mean, we've it's... got... Oh, Dan Snow's going to come on, and actually we're going to flip on him and interview him for once, because he's always interviewing other people. Uh, Susanna Lipskin is going to come on. Um, she's just got a new book out, actually, um, uh, about uh, French 16th century. But we're actually going to go back and talk to her about 1536, because uh, I think that's a brilliant book. The idea of taking one year in the life of Henry VIII um, that is so... I just... I agree with her completely. It's so significant um, and it's so relevant at the moment because the last part of uh, Hilary Mantel's Cromwell trilogy has just come out. Uh, we've got Belgian World War One history. We've got football history. We've got Gillard coming on to talk biblical archaeology and Israeli historian. Oh, we've got, oh, we have a heavyweight contest hopefully coming up, but I'm not going to say anything about that yet because we just need to confirm with, with one of them. Um, like you said, I'm Roger so Morehouse, I know that's going to be awesome. Roger Morehouse is coming on. Uh, we've got a brilliant, uh, she's a dear, dear friend of mine. Uh, she works for the Australian Maritime Museum. I've known her for years. Is going to come on and talk to us about a 1912 shipwreck that isn't Titanic. There's actually down in Australia uh, a vanishing boat and and uh, she's going to talk about that. We've got some Japanese history coming up in the next couple of weeks. We've got uh, classical historians having a debate. We're going to have... Um, Do not forget the classical historians. Do I know, I, I am, but we've got Renaissance Italy with Catherine Fletcher as well. Uh, we're very close to sorting out um, an awesome, awesome American uh, visitor uh, 
talking to us about the civil rights movement, um, in particular his book. Uh, we've oh, there's just so much, and that's just the Do next you know who couple else of we've weeks. Got? Who we've we've um, so my friend Shane, he actually runs a really interesting project as well. So hopefully we're going to get him on to explain to you guys. He's they're probably going to need some help as well eventually. So it'd be really great if we can get people on board. This is um, World to War Two, right? Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I'm going to mention it now, really quickly. It's the War Gen project, um, which is actually run by James Holland as well, and uh, and Dan Snow. If I'm not mistaken, please correct me if I'm wrong. Um, it would be re- it's actually a really great project. So we've got to get some people on board to give what them a hand. What is he doing? Uh, so basically, they interview people. Do you know what? I'm not going to tell you about it. I'm going to let Shane tell you all about it. Okay, um, all right, shut up it's then. Not really, it's, not really my, yeah, it's not really my place <laughs> to do it so much. He's, he's going to give me a right bollocking in a bit, you know, when he listens to this. So I better, I better stop talking right now. Oh, but we've got as well, as well as interviewing all these famous historians, we've got some fascinating stuff coming up from people that have come forward to offer their time. We've got a specialist in Victorian freak shows, which I'm really excited about. We've got uh, some Napoleonic history, Charles II's Navy, hopefully Egypt. coming up. Egypt. Egypt. We have yeah. Egypt. We have uh, Sorry. ancient Egypt. We have uh, the Bronte sisters in war as well. That's something. I- Do you know what else we've got as well? We've got some great music history that I'm, I'm trying to get going. We're actually interviewing someone, um, who you will all know if you're on my Facebook uh, by by the nickname Bellin. Uh, he actually has worked in the music <laughs> industry for decades, and Charlie's going to come on and talk to us about Live Aid um, because he was behind the scenes for the entire thing. He met everybody. He saw the whole thing from a really interesting um, perspective. So he's going to talk to us about sort of this epic gig. We've got some oral history uh, coming up from someone who served in Gulf One and in Kosovo. We've got ancient Greece. We've got Pompeii. We've got maritime archaeology. Really keen as well. Someone's agreed to talk to us about aerospace, uh, global conflict archaeology, chemical warfare, uh, how to write historical fiction. We're hopefully going to be talking to the Director General of Commonwealth War Graves as soon as she's got some time. Um, my uncle as well is uh, a really established journalist in Pakistan and some of the stuff he's seen uh, during the course of his career is just incredible. He's going to talk to us. We're hoping to talk um, local history as well. We've got someone coming on to talk about Belfast and Northern Ireland in World War II. Uh, we've got someone coming on to talk about why Yorkshire is a history hotspot and some of the best places to go as soon as you're allowed back out of your house again. We're going to have Richard III. We're going to have Ferrari's finest three races ever and apparently he's already picked them um and i think only one of them ferrari actually wins so that's going to be interesting uh, it's, it's just never ending you're forgetting something what you're forgetting something the what? most important subject of all i haven't scrolled down to world war ii yet we're having to ration our world war one and world war ii aren't we because we have so many friends and so many contacts but yeah we've got peter caddick adams paul beaver uh we've got alex kershaw hopefully we're talking to saul david next week about his current book which is the uh, pacific theater of war yeah it's just never ending isn't it uh, well even more even more specific than the Go second on. world war because obviously the best subject is mine 
okay, yeah, we will be talking to you about the first mass transport into Auschwitz as part of our Polish picks, won't we? I think that's going to be week three, we've decided. But yeah, and just yeah. today, we've had the likes of William Dalrymple, Kate Williams, Peter Frankopan, all agree to try and help us do stuff. So yeah, I'm really excited about where this is going. I, I think um, as long as this this nightmare goes on, we will be able to provide relief in the form of history. And just because all of these people are so willing to give us a little bit of their time. Do you know what? I really want to say thank you to everybody who's who's basically given up their time to, to help us. Yeah. But I really think we should start talking about you a little bit now and your research and what you're up to. Okay, because, we will, but um, let's just say thank you to all the people supporting us as well because we've picked up like oh, yes. more than 700 followers in about four days. Um, everyone's response to this has been great and their support and putting up with our constant tweeting and resending everything round and, and their contributions as well. So, yeah, ev- everyone, not only the experts and the enthusiasts that are going to come on, but everyone who sort of responded to this because if no one was listening, no one would be interested in doing it. Well, exactly. Uh, so at the end of the day, you guys are, are what makes us. So thank you very much. Go on, hit me then. Hit me with why I'm we're actually here for a history we, perspective We today. are. We, we're here for a few things. So let me just tell you a little bit about Alex. So a lot of you probably will like, recognise her from TV. I know I do. Um, after she's had a shower. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to lie. I haven't. I'm, do you know what I've done today? I've literally sat here... Um, I contacted a friend who's a commentator for BBC on the football because we're going to do a down the pub, a bit of a fantasy football thing um, for the 90s, I think. And uh, he's a Only Fools and Horses enthusiast, as I am. And we've literally spent most of the day sitting here watching in our separate houses the same channel, UK Gold, and texting each other quotes from what we're watching. So I, apart from this podcast, I'm achieving nothing. Not e- I, I won't lie, I haven't showered today. Well, at least we can give you a bit of a break at some point. You can get on with with some of your research because um, from what I hear, it's actually really interesting. But before we actually get to your research, let's have a chat about what you've actually done in the past. So you've published quite a lot, actually. Um, Not that I'm jealous or anything. Um, We're looking at do not judge her, people. What I'm about to say, do not judge her. She is a Chelsea fan. okay, (laughs) And she's written a book about the Chelsea Football Club during the First World War, right? So don't judge her. Just keep listening. You can be a Millwall fan. You can be a Tottenham fan. I don't care. Just don't judge her for this moment. Um, she's written a book on the Somme, um, something about Eton. I didn't catch that. I still have a book I've actually looked at. But the most interesting book is actually, it's called In the Eye of the Storm. And um, you're actually expanding on that book at the moment, aren't you? Yeah, so In the Eye of the Storm was, I really wanted, so with all these other books, like, and I have to say, um, quite a few of which were written with um, Andrew Holmes and then uh, Johnny Dyer as well. So a lot of other people have contributed to the research on those and their names are on the covers as well for for very good reason. But um, we had looked at a hell of a lot of different experiences of the war, like poor people, rich people, women, men, uh, people from all of Britain's colonies, we'd even included French, German. And I was sitting there uh, pondering what I was going to do next. And I threw this idea at my publisher at the time that was like, wouldn't it be really good? The the most unique experience I can think of was probably being King of England um, during the First World War. 
and she went oh that's amazing you need to do that so <laughs> stupidly sent off this application to the royal archives waited about three months because i later found out that if you're wanting to write about a senior royal it, it takes quite a lot of time to go through because it goes quite high, very high up the chain in the royal household and um, for permission as in the queen's desk via her private secretary and uh then i got permission which was a big shock um i, I can't remember where i was but my housemate at the time rang me screaming because uh, he'd found a letter on the map with the windsor castle stamp on it but um yeah so i wrote this book <laughs> it was i think i was at the house of lords on another research thing and uh, i was sitting with a uh, lord astor and, and i've got my housemate on the phone going can i open it can i open it i was like uh, yeah but if it's really bad i don't want to know what's in it um yeah so i got but, like you're such prestigious stuff you're doing like i don't get to do any of that kind of stuff i get to sit in a normal archive i mean come on i know awesome. it's, very very privileged and it was the first time the queen had actually let anyone at george v's papers since kenneth rose write his biography or lo- let them wholesale at his papers since the early since before i was born because she didn't like the last book that was written she didn't like some of the things that he said um so it really was a privilege um and you're gonna have to excuse that slight noise in the background because bertie the cat has decided to play with his uh, little ball run toy but uh, and i can't stop him because he sat patiently through every other podcast we've done so far um so yeah I, i'm really privileged to be able to get in there and worked on that for about three years but one of the things that came out of that book was um beginning to research the relationship between george v and edward the eighth or he's just david to the family um his eldest son so i obviously started in 1914 when david was uh 20 just turned 21 um no just turned 20 oh i don't know 20 don't oh don't ask me i these 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 can i just point out that this is the second time we've run at this and that yesterday when we were running at what we were going to talk about today <laughs> the americans and war queens you announced that george v was the father of edward the sixth and even the americans went oh dear god because there's only a 400 year difference between those two so yeah anyway don't judge me on on not knowing his exact birthday uh so anyway i <laughs> you're such a dope when it comes to anything outside world war ii i love it um but uh, do you know what so far i've been really lucky the ones that we've recorded so far are more to more towards my bag and i've lorded it over you but we're about to record a run of them where you're going to get to own me and i'm going to look really stupid so this will it will balance out in the end um ladies and gentlemen <laughs> seriously you're going to be this will be podcasted tomorrow okay when we get roger morehouse okay out there trust me i will be having the upper hand <laughs> yeah and so, i can't wait <laughs> so i'll lord it over you for now anyway he was like 20 um and it was really interesting to research their relationship during the first world war and also you have to pay attention to the relationship with bertie as well not my cat who i did name after george the sixth but the actual future george the sixth because obviously he's going to take the throne when his brother abdicates so you you have to be paying attention to him all the way through as well but to research the dynamic between father and son for those five years was so interesting um that I, I was I was sitting with the staff at the Royal Archives and I said, I'd absolutely love to research just the relationship between George V and Edward VIII and dig up whether or not um, 
it, this is the cause of the abdication. To what extent did their relationship, which, which is well known that it deteriorated down the years, um, to the extent that George V said before he died, within a year my son will ruin himself, which he did. Um, to what extent this relationship impacted future events and, or was it always inevitable that Edward VIII would abdicate? So I asked permission for this, but I, I said at the time, it's, it's something that you could only do if you had wholesale access to their papers um, between each other and the family papers. Um, if you didn't have the access to be able to find the new information, it wouldn't be worth doing. Um, and actually this one went through really quickly and I got permission. So that's what I'm doing at the moment. Um, I'm currently working on uh, the first section of it. So um, everything I say right now, uh, I fully admit I haven't looked at everything yet. I'm working, I'm, I've started the book. Um, this or this project, I don't want to call it a book yet, and temp fate. Um, I've started this project looking at when these, <laughs> when these two are flung into the line of succession because they, they should never have been. So I've started with the death of George V's oldest brother and I've actually been uh, researching from there through to the beginning of World War I because then obviously I've done a large, large chunk of it. So at the moment I'm looking at the uh, relationship between George V and his children in the early years. So that is a really long convolute answer to your question what am i working on now well do you know what let's while you while you while you're explaining yourself let's jump in with some questions from uh from some lovely people that have uh, asked on twitter yeah so we will start with uh kaiser johnny if i've not said that right then i apologize but uh kaiser johnny wants to know why does this idea prevail that king george and queen mary were terrible parents and go <sighs> In short, because only one side ever had their say, and that one side had a lot of other reasons for not saying very nice things, being Edward VIII. You, not every player in this scenario spoke out. None of them did. None of the other children would have uh, been indiscreet enough to write books that addressed this um, and and spoke about this. Um, George V and Queen Mary also wouldn't have written about it. It's a very unusual situation in that David, by then, um, so we're talking about 1951, David sat down and decided to write a memoir. Um, and to be honest, at that stage, he was actually a lot less bitchy and and scathing than people than some of the royal household particularly alan lascelles who was uh, george the sixth private secretary they were terrified of what he might say um, he actually wasn't as bad as everyone would think but he did say some things um and other snippets have been taken and and they've kind of produced this out of context impression of george the fifth and queen mary um as parents, I'll give you one example. So, if you open, uh, no, I only VIII, allowed one example, by the way. All right, okay, one example. Only Edward the Eighth, right, starts his biography um, with a statement that says, uh, "My father recorded in his diary the day I was born. My sweet baby, or I'm paraphrasing, my sweet baby was born today." Blah blah blah, and he says, "That's probably the only time he ever called me that." And it's a throwaway comment that implies straight away that George V did not like his kid or did not treat his kid well. And, and it's those kinds of little snippets that people have clung to. I tell you now that for the first, I, I mean, I am up now to 1897 reading every single day 
of George V's diary. And every single letter written about their kids, uh, written between him and Queen Mary about their kids, uh, I've started to cover those in bulk as well. And, and he uses that way of describing his child hundreds of times. He is sweet so baby, is my it? darling baby. I, I, I have seen photos of him cradling his newborn son and I have read and, and it's something I can't quote them because it's part of the deal you sign with the Queen when you look at the papers. But I can, I can give you an overall interpretation, which is that this man adored his child. I, he he bathes him he has him play in his office when he's working uh he the hands-on stuff he's doing i i highly suspect you would not see other men of his class doing with their child he's brought down to tea um he's shown off to everybody uh he adores this child as does queen mary um and in turn when bertie arrives in 1895 um they, they adore their children and, I, and I've started calculating and I cannot remember the name, number of times off the top of my head. I've calculated the amount of time that he spends away from his child and you'd be startled in the first year of that baby's life how much time he actually spends with him. And it's something I said about the birth of their sixth child because I was discussing Prince John in the war book that he takes effectively paternity leave. I mean, I, the, in, the inference is as well that George V is in the room when Queen Mary's in labour, which I don't think is a regular occurrence um, for having babies. Um, and that's in the case of David. But all of the children, he, he stops work, he stops shooting, which if you know anything about George V, if he's at Sandringham and he's not shooting and his wife's just had a baby and it's because he wants to sit with his wife and his baby, that's a hell of a big deal for him. So little throwaway comments and little anecdotes from people who have once seen him snap at his child um, have sort of built together to create this impression that the man was an absolute monster. Now, don't get me wrong, George V could be a piece of work. I mean, he, for a start, he came out of the Navy. He came out of, uh, of um, a social kind of uh, organ uh, way of living. and organ He was a naval man for a lot of years where you got by on ribbing your comrades and, and taking the mickey out of each other and stuff. And sometimes he could be a bit over the top and he could be gruff. Um, and I'm not saying the man was a saint, but to, to infer that there was no affection for his children, um, I just the more I read, the more I can refute it. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So we're going to look forward to a really good book then. 
so so let's move on let's move on we've got a couple of questions anyway so let's let's get this moving uh this one's coming from molly uh what made edward write such a scathing report of his father during his 1951 memoir was it purely to create hype and sensation and drive sales or were there really was there really blood um gosh can't talk today or was there really bad blood between them i've kind of answered most of this already this is a great question um he his report there wasn't so scathing but other evidence that has survived as i've said he was a lot less indiscreet in this book than people expected him to be but he wasn't in other sources if you compare that book to some of the hideous stuff that this man writes in personal correspondence um, they are vastly different um so it wasn't necessarily in the 1951 memoir that he was scathing and i don't know i and for that reason, if he wanted to create hype and sensation and drive sales, he could have done a lot worse. Actually, he worked with a journalist, not because he couldn't write, but because he was incapable, rather like me in this interview, of making cons <laughs> boiling down a lot of information and making it concise. And so this journalist was there to help him uh, to, to make it readable, to put it into a volume that could be read. And they, they diverged more and more as this process went on because the journalist wanted to go towards sensationalism and David wouldn't. He didn't want to. That said, if you want to know why he was scathing of his father, not necessarily in that book, um, you're looking at a period in time by the time he writes this book where he has abdicated. He's very bitter. He doesn't think he's been given enough money. He no longer really talks to his brother. Um, he, he's got a lot of animosity and a lot of self-pity, I want to say. Um, it's very difficult for me to give this a balanced view at the moment because I've done so much work on George V and I haven't really done the work yet on Edward VIII as an adult. But... Um, he he's very bitter um and he's got a lot of uh, anger inside him and he's got motives um for for making statements like this and and making people feel sorry for him do you know what i actually do feel a little bit sorry for him i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna wait and then when you're done i'll make i'll make an educated decision um, okay i will yeah. say i don't but... necessarily not feel sorry for him but right now, at the point I'm in, I am in my research, I don't feel sorry for him for those reasons. I don't feel sorry for him because uh, people didn't want him to marry Wallace Simpson. Right now, I feel sorry for him because I don't think he ever wanted to be king. I don't think he was ever going to be happy. There's a brilliant quote by one of his best friends who's later killed in World War I. That sent, he sends him a letter on his 21st birthday and says, I can't give you the present that you really want already then he's saying which is to be like everybody else that's that is that's kind of sad really but don't cry we're gonna move on we're gonna move, <laughs> no i'm not gonna cry i'm gonna move you on sound bad I'm enough really already don't cry oh no oh no no it's all right but so what go. i'm gonna do i'm gonna ask a question from me right okay be patient are you ready all right I'm just, okay. I'm dreading, I'm like, I'm thinking that you're going to have him fighting at Culloden or something insane or that you're going to, go for it, <laughs> go. <laughs> oh my God, okay, so we're going, we're reverting back to Monday, okay, we're joking Monday, about God, someone. my brain is, my brain is fried, Guy, <laughs> Guy and Luke. Mon Monday? Yeah, yeah, but it was okay. only, Monday was like yesterday. Okay. <laughs> we're okay, we're okay, so Monday we were joking about someone trying to invent Edward 
the eighth. Yeah. <laughs> going over the top. Going over the top. So you said he went looking for danger. Explain this to me. Oh, so we were talking about explain this to our people. Uh, so someone would, so if you didn't listen to Mondays which you absolutely should because they're so much more entertaining than me um, someone once asked me we were, we were joking about some of the awful things television asks you to do as a historian and, and um, I was joking about someone once telling me to go out and find a story of uh, David going over the top in World War One and, and saying oh because he, he courted danger he must have you, you need to find me the story and I was saying well no I, I don't because it didn't happen and I'm not going to make it up but yeah he did he did go looking for danger um, and so what if you ask me why did he do it oh well uh, okay yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> what? No, what, yeah what, what, what was it all about I mean you know explain it a little bit more Again, it goes back to this idea that he just wants to be like everybody else. He made this ridiculous statement um, to Lord Kitchener. Um, he desperately wants to be in the army and he wants to go and fight and he wants to get shot at. Um, at the time he's asking to do this, I've said it in the book, there is no one at his experience level in 1914, which is basically zero, apart from a bit of OTC training at Oxford, who would have been put into the front lines. Not at that point. Much later in the war, Definitely. But he's not qualified to go into the front lines and, and be a, a fighting battalion officer at the beginning of the war, um, which is what he wanted. And he says to Kitchener, but it doesn't matter if I get shot because I've got loads of brothers behind me, to which Kitchener's response is excellent. Kitchener says, I'm not worried about if you die. I'm worried about if the Germans take you prisoner which is actually a really good point because from a PR perspective, it would have been devastating. Sense. Yeah. So, uh, but he basically sulks his way through world war one. And, and I, I sound like I'm being so awful to him. He is a sulker. He's one of life's sulkers. And so he sulks his way through world war one about the fact that George V knows his kid is going to try and put himself in the way of danger. So he has him watched. He has older officers with him at all times. He has senior officers watching him at all times, but nonetheless, David did go out looking for trouble. And um, he actually very nearly found it by accident one day. Um, and he is actually involved again in a, in a car accident that, where someone lost a leg as well, um, which I don't know how widely known that is. It's in, it's in the book I wrote, um, but he basically, uh, his car hit someone and the guy ended up losing a leg and there was a whole hoo-ha about it. But um, oh I, I just think it was about, he thought he wasn't experiencing, he thought he was useless. He has a very, very big self-esteem problem. And and in his mind, because he can't go and get shot at and because he can't do the things that other boys his age are doing in World War One, he feels useless and pathetic. And that's why he courts danger. And that's why he wants to, to go out looking for trouble. So, right. We've got enough from me. Okay. Okay. We're going to fight. We've got, I've got two I'm more really from someone else. I'm impressed that you did that question, though. I know. Aren't I just so <laughs> awesome? Right. Anyway, so... Um, Big Andy Locke, I swear you know him. Yeah, do you know what? That sounds like, it sounds like such a pretentious name, but he really is big. He's not being a dick. He's basically a giant. His forearm <laughs> is bigger than my thigh. He's like immense. Um, yeah, so he's not, he's not being a douche with that name. He, he is Andy Locke and he is big. Okay, no, that's fair enough, fair <laughs> enough. But, but Andy, big Andy Locke, big Andy Locke wants to know, what the prince's attitudes were to serving in World War well, we kind of answered that a little bit, but expand it a little bit more, what, what their attitudes were to serving in World War One. 
I'm really sorry, Lockie, that we got into your Twitter username. Um, no, it is a brilliant question. So we kind of, we know that I've explained David's already. David's uh, attitude to the war, um, for as much as he sulked and moaned and bitched and didn't like the job he'd been given, you could never say that he did not work hard, even if he hated what he was doing. Um, people were surprised when he was given these he never really the problem was they didn't give him a defined job he moved around a lot and he got shoved in places to see lots of different things so he would get given a report to write and and ultimately it was pointless but it was in the king's mind it was educating him he was this unparalleled opportunity to learn different aspects of of a, a, your army at war which is the the thesis behind it um but so so david's attitude although he hated it he would people expected him to pass those silly jobs off onto other people um and essentially claim credit for them and he didn't do that and he also did not present the image of someone who was sulking and bitching and moaning i mean by god he was but to to the people that um that met him i mean he would uh, he went to an australian hospital and he visited everybody and the men loved this and they loved to see this skinny little kid riding a pony in egypt or a donkey or whatever it was um, <laughs> and paying attention to them yet he gets back in his diary and goes i went to a hospital and made fatuous remarks to the sick and um, so he does not project what's going on inside so his attitude um w was not as as his outer attitude was not as bad as his inner one, um, which I'm sorry to say, I believe the same thing throughout his life. His brother, um, who becomes George VI, his attitude, uh, it, I feel for him in World War One. So he's in the Navy when it breaks out, but he has this awful stomach problem um, that, I mean, they're, they're shoving tubes down his throat and flushing his stomach after meals and stuff like that. It's just, uh, I think it's an ulcer. So uh, he, he ultimately, he misses a lot of time. He does some work at the Admiralty, Admiralty before he can rejoin his ship. He does serve at Jutland. He's very disappointed that his ship bears no battle scars from it. But he, he I mean, he is quite close to the action. Um, his ship does take part. Um, he's on the Collingwood. And then he because he just cannot remain at sea they keep having to bring him ashore for treatment and sending him back so eventually he ends up in the raf um so so once again hard working and then down to the third and fourth brothers as well who are much younger henry's just come out of uh, sandhurst at the end of the war george is in the navy i mean all of the princes their attitude to the war um is one of duty and service and, and it's one that george v has instilled in them and and none of them uh, are miserable at the thought of having to play a part in it. Oh, it makes sense. Right, listen, let's get let's get on with this. I don't know how long we've got. We've got a long time. Long yeah, time? yeah, we're all right. No time. Couple more questions. Got, yeah, 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 got a couple more questions. Just, just don't hate me on the last one. Um, oh, no. Sorry, on <laughs> okay. okay. Did not hear that. You did not hear that. So Molly, she wants to know how did the war change Edward the eighth? Eight, yeah. <laughs> just be confident it is the eighth you've got that down now do you know what i'm terrified of saying it now because i'll start <laughs> saying edward the sixth or edward the fourth or edward the ninth you know where edward is the fourth you can do with dan jones anywhere. later in the week there is no edward oh the no ninth. anyway well, no, don't tell him this he will make fun of me i I'll sincerely hope anyway hit so molly do you think so again yeah so how did the war change edward the the eighth do you believe it matured, matured him as a person? No. <laughs> That's like the shortest answer I'll ever give. Do you know what, right? He was 
he was 20 when the war started but if you want to equate him to a kid now be thinking more 14 15 in his head i i do have to be fair to him and i do have to look at all the evidence as a historian i've spoken to three people who knew him and the consensus i get from the documents um that I've read and the people that so three people two people that knew him and one person that met him the consensus is that he was forever an adolescent in his head um I I would go I would meet these people and I would say I do find him very immature even after the war in in some senses in as I say outwardly he does not project this but inwardly he he is um very immature and and i say to them but obviously i research him only up to 1918 and he's still very young and i'm sure he matured as he grew older and that changed and every one of them has said nope nope it was a, a it is a, a marked uh, feature of his personality um till the day he died um was, was essentially that that he remained stunted in terms of maturity and i will if i find the evidence against that i i will admit that i'm currently wrong as i go on with this research but that's how i feel at the moment so let's revert back to this uh, this podcast when you're done and uh, see what's changed i'll be really interesting actually yeah mate that's a long way away how long do you think we're going to be doing this well i don't know the amount of historians we've got i think we've got quite this a long i think we're touching 90 now aren't we anyway go on one oh, last okay. question that apparently right. Hate. one last question right i'm, I'm gonna piss you off don't hate me don't boot me out of this not email. harry please not harry and his missus right you can't blame me right this question are you ready this question came from your mum judas i bought her flowers on mother's day i took her food shopping today <laughs> i hate food shopping is she giving you a prince harry question <laughs> <gasps> oh yes oh yes if we weren't in the I middle could... of a pandemic and it wasn't massively inappropriate i would say she is dead to me oh no your poor mum <laughs> what is she asked so are you ready yeah i'm ready for this what parallels do you draw between oh. prince harry and edward the eighth in terms of their reluctance to live in the royal limelight apart from the fact that neither of them ever wanted it none he's not in the direct line of succession brutally speaking what prince harry does doesn't matter i know that sounds awful but it doesn't we're not talking about the heir to the throne who has already inherited the throne we're talking about the future king's brother and we're talking about the queen's grandson which i'm sorry but to be brutal about it they're they're not the same thing at all they're really not and i I've, I've read a lot of things and you have to take so much of this with a pinch of salt because you're talking about the media who i just i cuss permanently but i've read a lot of stuff about <laughs> all of these insiders that say that harry's really annoyed because he doesn't uh see where he fits in and he doesn't uh feel that he's valued enough and william gets more attention if those are true which as i say i'm taking this with a with a bucket full of salt then then Harry needs to wobble his head because he's not in the direct direct line of succession. And yes, William was always going to be more important. And that's that's just a fact of life. Um, that's something that Bertie, George VI, dealt with as the younger brother of Edward VIII. But if you're asking, are these situations the same? Are we seeing history repeat itself? No, we're not. 
does that answer it without no. me swearing yeah. a lot and but I'm so gonna oh, I'm gonna have words with my mum that's all right don't worry we'll feel I forgive your mum okay. <laughs> my mum is lovely but she did that because she knew it'd wind me up did she email that to you or text you or what I got a text message from her and I sat there and I laughed my head off for about five minutes and then I thought I have to put this in at the end just to wind you up thanks mum thank you for your love and support <laughs> I'm a little bit nervous I'm totally nervous now because when I have to come on here you're going to ask me some sort of really difficult complex you know out of the box question and I'm going to I'm, I'm going to ask oh. you to name the entire 700 odd people in order um that came into Auschwitz on the first mass transport when we do your interview maybe a lengthy show <laughs> without referencing any is, documents well, the question would be if it's numerical or if it's alphabetical. If it's numerical, it's fine. I've got the list in front of me. I can read them off. No, the sad thing is probably, I'm going to make it alphabetical then just to spite you. <laughs> but on the plus side, we'll be able to remember all 728 men. So it is not, is not a loss. And that's coming in a couple of weeks. Well, what have, What's tomorrow? Oh, tomorrow is Paul Lay. We've recorded that one already and that one is fantastic. So... Paul Lay is um, the editor of History Today, isn't he? And he's got this book out, um, Providence Lost, which is about um, the 1650s, essentially. It's uh, charting the rise and fall of the, the Republic. Um, so what actually, we were quite mean. We, we angled it quite heavily towards Oliver Cromwell because I, I wanted... <laughs> I hate Oliver Cromwell. And, and he actually done a, a really good job, didn't he? He has, of, of rounding out a character that um, is often seen uh, in very black and white terms and giving us a great insight into that very small period in which well in which we didn't officially have a monarchy but you'll find out tomorrow that uh we we really it it didn't really go away but yeah that's a fascinating one so do join in for that and i learned a lot on the plus side we both did and i'm sure yeah exactly everyone here is going to learn i mean from from the lineup we've got we're all going to learn something yeah. So I, I can't wait to get started. I mean, I know we already started, but I can't wait to keep going and going and going. So. I'm so so exo- excited. I don't know what order to, to book everybody for these interviews because there's so much good stuff. But that's it for today. All anyway. at the same time. All yeah. at the same time, everyone. All at the same, All time. At the same time. Your voice no, uh, will be gone. Your voice is gone after about six recordings. So you need to rein it in a bit, I feel. <laughs> just stop talking really yeah but um let's stop talking we're done and remember people stay safe and more importantly if you can stay at home this is nighthawk signing off even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.